We got the invite to the pity party and RSVP'd yes. So here's part three of The Charming Squatter on Monsters of the Midwest. We're back in action with the third episode and, unfortunately, the last episode of this three-part series. Is it an unfortunate episode, though? I mean, I've been waiting to hear what this motherfucker's been doing. (laughs) Yo, this dude is fucked up. (laughs) So, I'm going to do a quick recap. I'm going to do a quick recap on what we heard last time, and then we're just going to go from there. Just jump right on into it. We'll get to all the business afterwards so this is the recap sean is in the interrogation room getting questioned by detective kim majors about the series of events with jane doe and the whereabouts of elizabeth griffith when he drops an absolute bombshell on the detective by saying he can't take them to elizabeth but he may be able to take them to someone else or possibly others So that's where I dropped you off by the cliff there. Yes, you certainly did. (laughs) I did. Fuck you for that. Thank you. Yeah, Um, you're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Right. So I'm going to tell you all of the details about what actually happened and who was involved here. All right. We're getting somewhere. When asked how many... How many people? He says there might not be any. You know, trying to give him the slip. Like, oh, you thought I was going to tell you something. Now I'm not going to tell you. Oh, ain't that cute. (laughs) Right. The time is not to be playing games right now. Let's, Let's be real. So, But reassuring Sean that she isn't going to leave his side through this whole process. You know, like almost holding his hand while he's walking across the street. She starts to wear him down yet again. Asking about Elizabeth once more, Sean starts to talk about her as if she is a failure of society that needs to be taken out back and put out of her misery, is what he says. Oh. Yeah, like, she's not old yeller, okay? This is a person, and clearly he has no sense of, um, he doesn't, really uh understand i guess the severity of what he's telling detective majors because you're just gonna take someone out back and shoot them it seems a little crazy so it seems really freaking crazy like yeah i mean let's not discount that right the reason for him being this angry and saying what he's saying about her becomes clear when he starts talking about government assistance checks Oh, okay. Yeah. So he thinks people who are using government assistance are failures of society. And for some reason, he wants to get rid of these people. Uh, But as we dive deeper into each victim of his, we start to see that this isn't always the case. So it's intriguing to me because, you know, from past serial killers or people who have studied serial killers... They um, 
they have a way of figuring out who the who the serial killer is because they have a specific mo right they have somebody that they gravitate towards however this is interesting because this isn't the case with him okay you have my attention yeah this is this is just one of his triggers uh i personally believe that he's upset because he can't be on government assistance because we already know he don't want to work. So yeah, that sounds like it to me. Either yeah. that or he likes Trump, one of the two. Sorry, <laughs> you know, throw that out there. So he's taking it out on people who receive supplemental income from the government in order to afford basic living expenses, for example. Uh I I researched a little bit because I thought at first maybe he got denied and he's just bitter at people that got it that, you know I love are, that you looked into that. I yeah. love that are just like him, right? But the fact of the matter is, he did get government assistance for a short time. He got food stamps. And apparently... Really? Yeah. That wasn't enough for him, you know? And he wasn't getting a, you know, a SSI check or, you know, supplemental income from the government because you can't work. So, hmm. what's interesting, in a letter written by Sean... Later, after he's already incarcerated, he says in the letter, government assistance took my victims' minds. And that's going to come up a little bit later in the episode. So keep that in mind. Oh, that's in my pocket for later, because that... What? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Are you fucking joking? So, while Detective Majors is asking still to get taken to Elizabeth, He veers off course, and he says, I could take you to another place in Mansfield. Oh, shit. Okay, we're getting somewhere. Not in the direction that they were hoping to be in, but as Detective Majors is speaking to him about this other woman, he eventually agrees to talk about where she is. So now there's Jane Doe, as we already know. Elizabeth is missing. And now there's another woman that he hasn't talked about yet. So the woman that Sean's talking about, her name is Candace Cunningham. Uh, she and Sean dated in 2006-2007. So, like, in, in between that. The relationship was short-lived, only about seven months, and very volatile, you know, according to friends, people in the area, heard them arguing, things like that. They had physical altercations during their relationship, and in one instance, she scratched him and left scars on his forehead. She scratched him pretty deep. Now, I don't know if that was a defensive wound or if she just got upset, Um. Sean told Candace during one of their arguments that if she lied to him again, that he would lay her ass in the woods out back, is what he told her. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, Candace, however, had her own set of problems, right? She suffered from drug addiction. Uh, she had both of her kids taken away due to her constant battle with this addiction. So, uh, moving to Mansfield was supposed to be a new start for her, right? Moving, moving away from all that extra, you know, bullshit, all the drugs, all of that temptation. She moved away from that to try to start anew. But it didn't, it didn't 
go very well. She was still, you can find drugs anywhere you go. It doesn't really matter as long as you know how to get it and how you've done it in the past is probably the same way that you're going to get it to in your new location. <laughs> right, right. So her friends said Sean and Candace were inseparable. Uh, the relationship was obviously rocky, but she wanted to be with him um and who who were they to say no you know you could you couldn't reason with her she was infatuated so Perfect. excited and infatuated uh candace even goes as far to change her relationship status on facebook to married on christmas day of 2015 oh shit that bitch is hooked <clears throat> she's right. hooked yeah that's so, a movement right there that's a big thing and she's actually going to come up once again so don't uh, don't count her out just yet because we're going to connect some dots here. Okay. After an argument happened at the home, the two were squatting in. Uh, he said she lied to him about going down the street for something. Maybe uh, thinking that she was meeting up with people and not saying anything about uh, who she was meeting up with or any sort of shady business, you know, just... I don't know if he was assuming or she had been caught in the past, but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent on that. Did it say what drugs they were into? I don't know why I want to know this, but I'm just so, curious. I'm not sure because it doesn't really state in any sort of documents that Sean was actually on anything. That's not to say that he didn't dabble in the past, but okay. I'm not sure what her drug of choice was. So okay. I, I would be interested. I mean, I would think something super addicting to not want to work and be on assistance and basically give up your whole life for. And we know there's a few drugs and, out there that do that. Right. And then they're cool squatting and like whatever. But then there's the paranoia of, you know, her going back to quote unquote old things. I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, it would be it would be. uh I know you're a detective, an internet detective. I'm sure you could find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after an argument happened in the home and he accused her of lying, he said he took her out, but then sniffles and says by accident. So he's telling Detective Majors he killed so he her. didn't take her out to fucking Denny's for a late night <laughs> snack. He took he took the bitch out like she's, you know, swimming with the fishes. Right. Basically, right. Okay. So as he's talking about this, he's sniffling and crying and he's all upset. And I'm not buying it. I'm not buying that it was an accident because here's the thing. Candace is four foot nine inches tall, a hundred pounds soaking wet. She's smaller than me, and I'm 4'11". I know how small Jeez. that is. There's no fucking way. There's no way it was on accident, believe me. But, you know, she needs to know. She needs to know the information. Now, Candace's mother has said that it wasn't unusual that uh, she wouldn't hear from her daughter for months at a time. You know, it was just the kind of person she was. Candace, however, said she met the perfect guy and was excited about the relationship, saying the two were going to move to North Carolina soon. And the next time her mother would hear about her daughter is when the police knocked on her door 
to tell her that Candace had been murdered and they have the suspect in custody. Jeez. So, Sean says the incident happened in the home they were staying in together, June 16th at 3 a.m. Candace comes home with a bag of tobacco and hits Sean in the face with it, demanding that he roll her some cigarettes. Candace kept trying to assault Sean, and he said, if you keep trying to attack me, I'm going to choke you out. He gave her the warning. Doesn't excuse it. No, no, we do not condone any sort of violence at all. And this is no exception. I don't care what the hell you're on. So he explains that he basically tortured her for three days before finally ending her life. Jeez. Choking her until she passed out all three days, saying it all casual to, uh, to the detective. We had our little arguments, you know, little choking things, you know. Jeez. I mean, I don't understand it, but I I mean, I don't either. I mean, right. and I've been in some uh, altercations in my life, but never <laughs> um, quote unquote arguments that end in choking somebody out for three days. Get right. The fuck out of here. Right. Some, something's not adding up. Exactly. He choked her. He explains that she was still trying to fight him. Uh, any sane person would definitely fight off someone who is trying to Absolutely. choke them to death. Hello. Then he says she went after her him again. Uh, this time he didn't want to let her go. So after Candace goes limp finally in his arms, she's only passed out at this point. Candace eventually gains, regains consciousness, and by Sean's account, Candace starts going after him yet again. So she's got four foot nine, a hundred pounds. She's got the strength. I don't know if she had adrenaline pumping through her veins. I don't know what it was, but she had some fight in her, and she kept coming after him. Now, he decides, you know what? This is it. I'm done. This, I told you, I'm done with this. And he starts choking her and he puts her in like a triangle hold. And I don't know, I think you know what I'm talking about where you put one arm. Or the two hands behind the neck type thing. Well, isn't that what it is? Kind it's of. One arm in front of the neck and then your other arm is pulling back on that arm. So it's like really putting pressure on someone. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. It's like if you were to put your arm over your body and stretch your shoulder out, that's the hold. So when he's sure that she's deceased around four in the morning, so this took an hour, Sean leaves her body in the home and the next day he takes her out to the woods to dispose of her. He said it was roughly about 10 p.m. on June 17th when he wraps Candace up in a blanket takes her out back to the wooded area and leaves her there, taking the blanket with him back to the house because of trace evidence. So he knows that the DNA is his on the blanket, a mixture of his and hers. He thinks about this and takes the blanket back. Now he knows. To the crime scene? No, he takes it back to the house. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Yes. So he has the forethought to think of this. And a little while later, he decides, I'm burning this motherfucker down. 
he torches the entire house to get rid of any evidence at all. Isn't that wild? So I'm kind of speechless at this point. Yeah, right. So death by strangulation. We're learning through this this whole interrogation process that his hands are his weapon of choice. And, of course, the investigators want to know as much as possible, right? So they have an ironclad case against Sean, okay? So they not only do they get this information, they ask him to demonstrate how he strangled his victims. And there's videos out there of of him doing this. Ugh. Yeah, and it's creepy because I'm going to post a picture on our socials of him like showing them how he did it. And it, it just the look in his eyes is just terrifying. It's so bad. As he's asked to demonstrate how he strangled the victims, they ask Sean if he wants like a teddy bear or something to show how. And Sean says, he looks at one of the guys and he says, I was thinking I'd demonstrate on you. And the man <laughs> says, yeah, the man uh, says, no, thanks. No. Quite the contrary. The man says, well, if that's what you want to do, then they both kind of share a little chuckle together. And uh, I'm not sure if Sean was laughing because he thought it was kind of funny. Like, well, you're here. I might as well show you. The other guy's laughing as though he's like, yeah, that's that's great. At least he has somebody else in the room in case stuff gets real shifty. You know, yeah, it's already. I feel like it's already going that direction. <laughs> it is nuts. I would have said no, but okay, to each his own, I suppose. I feel as though the detectives did it so they can show that in court and show them exactly how Sean looks when he's strangling someone to show that he's not quite right. If you catch my drift, right? Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, the thing that strikes me as odd is him constantly saying in the interrogation process that all of his victims wanted to die, that they were almost begging for death, which is not the case. It's not the case at all. Right. You're not a humanitarian doing a community service. You're picking people off and then victim blaming, which is insane to me that anyone could even think this way. But I digress. We're going to pedal back to the interrogation with Detective Majors, and she asks him if there are other people that he may want to lead them to. Um, Sean replies with this. How many people before I get lethal injection? I would Stop. That's your fucking response, bro? Yes. Yeah. I would say one. <laughs> but, right. Uh, how many people do you got on your tally sheet, sir? No kidding. Yeah. After getting him worn down to the point of no return, he starts revealing details of other victims which is exactly what the hell she wants. He tells Majors, the house where they picked him up from originally, Jane was not the only person in there. He's tired of keeping up the charade. You can see it in his face. He's just, he's all slumped over. And he's finally like releasing all of this built up anguish that he's had for so long because 
he's starting to feel as though he can tell Detective Majors anything. You could hear my deepest, darkest secrets, and he's about to reveal them all to her. She's asking him, are we going to find Elizabeth in there? And he just meekly puts his head down. He goes, yeah. So Sean reveals that Elizabeth was shoved in an upstairs closet of the home that they apprehended him at earlier that morning. In the crime scene photos, there are pictures of the closet door that had black tape sealing the door closed and various items of clothing blocking the bottom of the door. I'm going to post that as well. Uh, He says that he put clothing on top of her and around the door jam because the smell was getting into everything. Like, it's such an inconvenience to him. Inconvenience to his fucking life. In the house that's not even his, the squatter's house. Right. So now we're aware that he has two confirmed victims. The night of Elizabeth's death is recalled by Sean, who's now completely broken down, and he needs to get everything off his chest. So, I'm going to tell you the night in question. The two hung out at Elizabeth's apartment where they played a game of Yahtzee together. He then invited her. Yeah, right. I just learned how to play. I haven't played that in a minute. I just Stop learned it, how to really? play. I swear. Where I the swear. fuck have over, you been? Over Christmas, you can ask my sister. She'll tell you. My mom taught us all how to play. I never played it before. But uh, yeah. First of all, uh, we're playing that at the Bay next time we all go. Second of all, I'm pissed off we didn't play it at the Bay last time. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to Holly better bring some dice to fucking Lost Lands. That's all I'm saying. We're playing some fucking Yahtzee. <laughs> Yahtzee's fun. Yahtzee is fun. But go ahead. Go ahead. I'll- and apparently they had a good time doing it, too, because this isn't the only time they're going to play it. All right. So I didn't get the memo. I'm sorry. Now I know. So he invites her back to his house to eat some barbecue chicken. Later on the e- in the evening, Elizabeth calls Sean around. Remember what time? 11 p.m. And asked what he was up to. So the call that they knew she dialed his number was at 11 p.m. That matches up absolutely exactly to what they have. Okay. So she asked if he wanted to play another game of Yahtzee and talk some more. He said, yeah, come on over. So the two meet at the Croc Center and walk to Sean's place together. They play another game of Yahtzee. And he's telling Detective Majors that Elizabeth starts to put the moves on him. Uh, He says this is strange. This is weird because he doesn't want anything to do with her like that. Although in the interrogation with Detective Majors, he does say, just so you know, her shirt did come off, even though he told the detective that they didn't have sex at all. So we'll see. Mm. Yeah, sure. This is like a bunch of flavors of bullshit here. Yeah. when. Detective Majors then asks, why did her shirt come off? He explains that he was choking her and perhaps her shirt came off in the struggle since he was behind her and had her in a headlock position. The triangle, like I was telling you earlier. Okay. I don't fucking buy it. I'm sorry. I just don't. I haven't purchased anything that you just said in the last five minutes. So, okay. (laughs) Right. I'm just saying this is like so many flavors of bullshit. So he's explaining to Detective Majors the scene and what unfolded as far as the conversation goes between the two. When she asks, how did you choke her? 
He explains that he is facing her and just reaches out in front at first, grabbing her neck and squeezing, asking Elizabeth, are you sure this is what you want? So then Sean says that Elizabeth confided in him, talking about feelings of her wanting to kill herself. He jokes with her saying, oh, what are you waiting on then? And uh, he's talking about it all nonchalant, like it's a normal thing to talk about with someone who has a clear mental disability and cannot process this as you would. He wants to know how much his victim really wants to die. So he puts a little fear into them to see how serious they actually are. Such a God complex, and I cannot stand it. I yeah, I'm sorry. I'm like over here like shaking my head speechless because it just makes me fucking sick. Yes. He also explains that Elizabeth thinks he's just joking around at first. Ha ha. Ha, that's a funny joke. Which if you're Well, yeah, she can't com- if she's friends with him and she can't comprehend yes. other things as deeply or as as quickly as, you know, exactly. As exactly. as he's processing them. You know what I mean? Like Yes. So she starts to freak out because he's not letting go. She's like, of oh, my course. God, no. I, I, right. This is crazy. She's being strangled to the point of unconsciousness at this point. Just like with Candace, he chokes her until she passes out a few times. And at one point, while being choked, Elizabeth says, forgive him, Lord, for he knows not what he does. It's oh, so fuck. So she knows she's going to die. It's so heartbreaking. So heartbreaking to it's, hear this. Yeah, it is. While strangling her, holding her head and neck from behind, he has his left arm around her neck with his right arm he's pulling just to tighten it up. And he said that he pushed his body towards her so that way he could have the the strongest grip possible. And as he's demonstrating this, he's explaining what happens to her. So she starts to succumb to being strangled and finally stops breathing. He lets her go and looks at her and freaks out and grabs her again. And he said, the reason I did this is to make sure she was dead. And I didn't stop until she soiled her pants. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's fucking sick. Yes. Choosing victims that are dependent on drugs, either from addiction or prescribed, seems to be part of Sean's M.O. Uh, He was... Also, uh, he said that he went back to Elizabeth's apartment and grabbed some things from her apartment after this all happened. So he's he's not um, very swift as far as um, his criminal record goes, as we all know before all of his bullshit that he's dealt with in the past. This is not this is not anything that surprises me him stealing. So when he's thinking of what to do with her body, she's larger, okay? And I'm going to put all of the victims up on our Facebook and our Instagram so you can see who is who. He said he shoved her in the closet, and he shoved a bunch of other clothes around the house in the closet to try to hide her, saying in the meantime he's been killing a lot of flies in the home and opening windows just to let the flies out saying he's surprised it doesn't smell worse in the home, but the smell is soaking into everything. Detective Majors is keeping her cool 
when she's hearing about all this, which is strong because I, I not. literally <laughs> just fucking forgot that Detective Matrix was a female. I totally forgot that it started with the guy and then she. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so she's just keeping her cool because letting out other emotions or fear is going to trigger him. So he's talking to her because she is keeping a level tone with him. The same tone, the whole interview process, the interrogation, all of the other questions. She literally never raises her voice. She never gets lippy. She doesn't get tested. Nothing. It's very, very calm. Like, I think that's what helped her in getting all this information out. It's really wild to see. She asks, are there any other people in the house? And he has his head down just like he did before. And he said, mm-hmm. And he's referring to a woman named Stacy Stanley who's in the basement. So, Stacy, I'm going to tell you a little about this day in question. Stacy was stuck on the side of the road due to a flat tire near BP gas station on September 8th. So, Sean was walking to the gas station. He saw her broken down on the side of the road, offered to help. Stacy said she's fine because someone's coming. Someone's coming to help me. Don't worry about it. It's raining outside. It's kind of shitty. That always happens when you get a flat. Everybody knows that. The weather's as bad as it ever was, ever in life. Right. And she's she's just waiting for her family friend to come help her with the tire. Stacy Stanley was 43 years old at the time of her disappearance. Battling a heroin addiction for six months, she was on her way to the grocery store to get groceries after getting her nails done at her favorite nail salon. You can see her on the CCTV footage of the nail salon. She's there. She got her nails done. And then she got the flat. Sean, Mr. Good Samaritan Sean, he had an umbrella. And he's like, you know what? I should go over there again. So he leaves the gas station. And he's going to give her the umbrella just to keep her dry, you know, um, while, she's, while she's waiting for her help. Sean asks if she need any help changing the tire again. She says, I mean, if you want to stay here and, and hang out for a little bit while my friend comes, that's cool. He said, you know what, I'm going to start. I'm going to start changing the tire. And when he gets here, you know, then, then you guys can do the rest. Stacy's son calls her. She says, uh, you know, my f- so-and-so is not here right now. But there's a man that's helping me until, until he comes. He's, nice, he's a nice guy. He's helping her out, gave me an umbrella. She's cool. Like, everything was fine. After the friend gets to her location, however, he sees Sean's already trying to change the tire. So this guy, the family friend, gives Sean the rest of the tools. He's like, here you go, buddy. <laughs> he gives the rest oh, of the no. tools. He gives the rest of the tools to him to change the tire. He don't mind. He's like, oh, yeah, dude, no problem. You know, I just wanted to help. And uh, the family friend goes, all right, you know, I'll take the tools back. Are you all right? All right, I'll see you in a little while. And he leaves. Stacy's grateful, though. She's like, okay, I'm going to take you to the gas station. You want anything? I want to get you something because you helped me out. You know, I don't know you, but they go, okay. They go inside, and the two of them are in the store together. And uh, she buys him a cup of coffee. 
thanks him for helping. And then Sean, he says, you know, what what are you doing? Maybe we can hang out sometime. She says, sure. What are you doing tonight? So the two hang out that night at the house. He's explaining what's going on in the house. The two of them start kissing. One thing leads to another. They're talking about each other's lives. And then things go bad from there. He's explaining to Detective Majors the murder wasn't planned, but he started having flashbacks of other women in his life. Then he quickly said, like my mother, you know. Oh, God. Here we go. He he said, someone has to be blamed. It should be you since shit happened with your hands, but okie dokie then. Right. So he's explaining to Detective Majors in a nutshell that the Stacy lady is a user who likes to take advantage of men in order to get what she wants out of them, and then she just leaves. So he asks her if he took out 40 bucks then, what would she do for it? Implying she's a prostitute and has some sort of quid pro quo mentality. God. Yeah. Mom comes back into the story now, saying she worked at a bar, which we know was Baja Boots. She was a dancer. And she would bring home guys all the time. Sean said he would try to be a bad kid to get these guys out of the house at as early of an age as four years old, kicking them and screaming at them to get them to leave. So Stacy's reminding Sean of his own mother thinking she's just hooking up with guys and using them for their money to fund her lifestyle, uh, saying he bets she has a lot of sugar daddies. And when she says, no, she don't, like, I don't know what you're talking about, he said to Detective Majors, she straight up lied to me, saying (laughs) the family friend was more than that. Like, he's assuming that she is this way. He thinks that the family friend is the sugar daddy that's coming to rescue the damsel in distress, and she's just calling him because she didn't want to change the tire herself. So he's already upset about her being, you know, a user or whatever. And then he said the reason why he was so upset is because he had to change the tire. The fuck? (laughs) You offered to change the motherfucking tire, bitch. Like. And then you continued. Bro came over with the tools, and you were just like, nah, I got it, bro. I got it. I'm cool. Right. Do-do-do-do. Super Sean. Yes. So terrible. Yeah. So picture this. Good Samaritan Sean helping change the tire, and the guy shows up, hands Sean the tools, and then talks to Stacy while Sean is doing all the work. I mean, you know what? I would be kind of upset, too. I ain't gonna lie. But... You still offered, so I have no sympathy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, well. Right. Karma's May- a cunt bag, isn't she? <laughs> I Dude. don't know what to tell you. So now Detective Majors asks if that sealed her fate, if her having sugar daddies and lying to him sealed her fate. Um, and then she said, was it just by going to the house with you? And he says no when she lied to me. Sean does mention that they do end up having sex with each other, but he snaps on her when she plays innocent and lies to him, at least in his mind. So, of course, they're making out. Then um, 
what I can only assume happened is he wants to take it further and she said no, so he's not having it. And he said, she just met me that day and goes home with me. What did she think was going to happen? She I don't know, not... Yahtzee, bro? I mean, that's, Yo! that's your, your game of choice. Yahtzee, oh, maybe? Oh, my goodness. Exactly. How nuts is that? So he said, coming home with me at 11 o'clock at night, she don't even know me. Almost like it was sent from God, or she could have been sent from the devil. I don't know. Someone gave up on her. <laughs> how, I... do you, how? How do you say something like that? I can't even unpack that statement. I guess. Yeah. So while he was sexually assaulting her, guess what? He recorded a video on his cell phone. Oh, cool. Yep. And this is not the first time, you know, that we've that we're hearing about this. And as she's being sexually assaulted and choked to death, Stacy manages to fight enough to grab Mace that she has and mace him in hopes of slowing him down enough to escape. Uh, he told Detective Majors, I was going to let her go until she maced me. He wasn't going to let her go. I don't think so. I don't think so. Mm. So, Uh. yeah. After strangling her to death, he wrapped her body up in a blanket. Now, this is the second time we're hearing the same thing. Drug her downstairs to the basement of the home and covered her up with literal trash that was at the home. So Sean also admits to stealing money out of Stacy's purse and driving her vehicle after she was deceased. Here we go again. Sean says Stacy told on herself by mentioning that she gets a government assistance check every month. Now we know. He absolutely despises this. So there was a combination of things, I think, that he was seeing that really pissed him off. Jeez. Yeah. When asked how many victims he has, Sean, without missing a beat, says four. Now, if we're counting, there's Candace, Elizabeth, and Stacy. So when they're recounting the victims... He's looking at his fingers and he's saying all the names out loud. Then he says, oh, oh, my bad. I mean, three. (laughs) Okay, right, right. We believe you, sir. We believe you. Okay. But some of you guys might be thinking, well, what about Jane? She was a victim, too. I definitely did think about that. but But Detective Majors is not talking about the living. So he starts fumbling around and he keeps saying things like, you know, which, you know, is a total Midwestern thing. I say it all the time, and it pisses a lot of people off down here in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's like a, it's like a filter, um, what, what is it called? Uh, a space filler, when you're trying to think of something it's a fluffer. to say. It's a fluffer, yeah. right, you just throw in there. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you know? Yeah, you know. So... Or that's what's Every- up. We do that a lot too. That's we we do. We we I have some know. sentence fillers that we need to think of the next thing that we want to say. And honestly, he knows he knows the jig is up here. Now, what's interesting is a quote from his mother that I found. And Ooh, I'm gonna shit. read it to you. Yeah. Yes. Yes, do. His mother is quoted saying, Yeah, he's good looking. 
but the devil's good looking too. He ain't no red horns and all that stuff. You find out he's charming, and that can charm the pants off of anybody. So that's a literal quote from his mother saying and that. In pertains to what? Sean. So okay. she's comparing her own son to the devil. Here's my thought. Perhaps the lack of struggle and Jane accepting what was happening to her made Sean stop because he might like the struggle. So the others, they had a fight in them, right? And he wasn't having it. So he wanted to feel like he was in control. When she submitted, I think that he stopped wanting to pursue her in that way and didn't ultimately end her life. And I feel like that was a really, really brave and bold move. Now we're going to go to September 15th. Now, if you remember, September 13th is when the 911 call was. He's been held. And now September 15th, they're going through a series of interview processes with him. Okay. So Detective Majors, and this is in 2016, in case we all forgot. Detective Majors talks to Sean again about anything else he may want to get off his chest. So as the conversation starts, Sean is trying to think of a specific year he has in mind and then mentions a 2005 or 2006 cold case of a woman who was found and was unable to be identified. So 2006, 2016, this is a decade-old case, and he's now admitting his involvement in this case. So this is a big gap, and we know, like, serial killers, they do things consecutively. They got the itch, they got the urge, they start doing it. Yeah, they might be sloppy, but they perfect their craft, as it were, quote-unquote. This, 10 years, that's a long time. The only time that really happens is if they're locked up or something like that. You know what I mean? Incarcerated or something, like, stops their flow. Right. You know? Skeletal remains of a woman in Marion was discovered in a wooded area in 2007. She was unrecognizable because of the state she was found in. And it was said with the state of her body that they believe she died a year prior to her remains being discovered. Wow. So Sean is unsure what this woman's name is, but he believes it might be Dana or Diana or something like that. Now, mind you, he believes he might No, Yeah. He's not being coerced in any way to this confession. He talks about it freely with detective majors. It's only four minutes into the conversation and they record right at the start of their conversations with the, you know, the incarcerated as it were. Right. So four minutes in and he's like oh i don't know maybe let me see here 2006 yeah it could be a dana or diana or something but i'm not really sure that's pretty fucking specific yeah no kidding so i'm gonna go into the future just for a second 2019 with the help of dna testing from other family members and isotope testing she was finally able to be identified as Dana Nicole Lowry. He knew exactly what the fuck her name was. Yeah, he fucking did. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he fucking did. Do you remember that little nugget of information about the magazine saleswoman? 
Mm, kind of. Uh, she was maybe the not. one that sold the magazine so door to door. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Recap us all, because so know, it's been a minute. There was there was a woman who went door to door selling magazines for her college tuition and sold some magazines to Sean's mother. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So never got the magazines, right? Right. Dana gotcha. was the okay. woman who was selling the magazines door to door. Duped her out like forty bucks or some shit like that, right? Yes. Right. Uh, I don't know if anyone else did this. Uh, I'm not sure about you because you lived in a rural area. Uh, Kids doing door-to-door sales for um, fundraisers or whatever, you know, that was normal back when I was a kid. My brother and I- They made us do that dumb shit too. yeah, Yeah. My brother and I sold bags of popcorn or little trinkets or ice cream or, you know, whatever the hell. And you ask the person if they would like to buy stuff for the school fundraiser. They sign their name, the amount, blah, blah, blah. And then you Write bring you them check. merchandise. Right. Yeah. But she was doing the same thing. She's just trying to fund her further education through this. Sean ends up tracking this woman down after his mother doesn't receive the merchandise she had paid for. Um, so now super sleuth uh, Sean is on the case, right? Carmen San Diego, man. Right. Dana's reported missing in uh, 2006 when her two children from back home in Louisiana stopped receiving phone calls from her. She is all the way up in Ohio. Why the fuck is she there selling fucking magazines? You know what? I don't know if she went to school in Ohio. I'm not sure because it doesn't have a lot of information about her. So... The father of her two children said he just figured she moved on with her life and forgot about him because that's just the type of person she was. Great. Upstanding citizen. Yikes. So yeah. Detective Majors wants to know how Sean and Dana managed to get to a point where they're alone together. You know, the whole thing's right. a little muddy with how he even manages to find her in the first place. Uh, but. He ends up finding her and Sean asks her, you know, what, what, what are you up to? She said she's just about done selling her magazines door to door. And he asks her, oh, yeah, uh, do you want to take a break for a little bit and hang out? And she agrees. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm almost done for the day. So we can just chill. And he invites her to his grandparents house where he's staying at the time. Uh, the way the interview goes, however. <clears throat> It almost seems to me like he would buy a magazine from her. Like he said, hey, you know, I'll buy a magazine. The money's at the house, though, so you're going to have to come back and gr- so okay. I can grab the money. That's how I feel it unfolded because of I remember selling shit. Like, oh, well, I don't have my money on me, but if you come with me to the house, I can grab it for you. That makes perfect sense. Mm, okay. We interrupt your regularly scheduled debauchery to talk to you about some other cool cats. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. The show really feels like just kicking back with us at home and chatting about monsters and tragedies, but having a few laughs along the way. Just like we'd be doing if the mics were off, frankly. (laughs) You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Forever and ever and ever. What do you think? Their links are in the description, so go check them out, you turkeys. Time to agitate the gravel and get back to Coolsville. At first, they both sit in the kitchen for a minute. Sean asks, hey, you know, while we're waiting, do you, because he asks his grandmother, I guess, for the money or if he needs to find the money or something to that effect. So he said... Hey, do you want to see my ball cards? She's like, no. Uh, what the fuck, kid? She no, said, I don't. She said, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'd like to see them. So he he collected like sports cards, uh, baseball, football, all that stuff. What the fuck? She, she got a Ken Griffey rookie card or what? What the fuck? <laughs> She's trying to snatch it on the low? Like, oh, wait, I know this might be something. Hold on. Hey, you know what? You Hustler's going to hustle, right? When she heads back to his room, however, Sean confronts Dana about being a con artist and a thief. He's like, fuck this, man. I'm just going to call her out on it. Taking innocent people's money and splitting without giving them the merchandise. So he says, so you're going to rip me off like you ripped off my mom? And she said, uh, who's your mom? <laughs> like, I'm trying to sell as many magazines as I can. I don't remember a specific person. So. He replies, oh, so you do this to a lot of people, huh? He's, he's already fed up with her. Right. He knew as soon as he saw her, he would never forget that face. And he was going to get his revenge on the person who wronged his mom. So she tries to get past him. He manages to get to back her up into the living room where he said he choked her right then and there. He's like, I had enough. And I just, I lost it, he said. He mentioned to Detective Majors he believes her nose was bleeding and there was maybe blood coming from her lip a little bit. And now I'm unsure if this is from a struggle when he was choking her, like her maybe trying to get away and things got rough, or if he hit her, it's not mentioned and it's not clear, but there was some sort of trauma that happened to the face. As he puts her in the triangle hold, like he's super famous oh. for, she's starting Unreliable, to right? Yeah, she's starting to succumb to being strangled. Now, this is his first victim. So her body is going limp, and Sean says he goes down with her and just lays right next to her in the living room while he's choking her to death. 
So he's like spooning her basically, which is so disgustingly terrifying. It makes me sick. It makes me not want to cuddle that much more. Ew. Yeah. He said, not losing his grip to make sure she's out, stating he was just laying next to her, side by side on the floor. He also said she peed her pants during the time he had his hold on her, so she passed out, and he knew that it was only temporary. He said, because, you know, we used to play, like, choking games. Remember that, like, in school? Who the fuck played those? um, Who the fuck played those? Yeah. He drags her down to the basement. And as this is happening, Dana's starting to regain consciousness. So Sean starts to panic. He like sets her down on the floor and he goes upstairs and he grabs a knife. So he hurries up. He goes back downstairs to the basement of his grandparents' home, knife in hand, grabs a barely conscious Dana and stabs her in the neck, leaving her there in the basement to bleed out by herself. What in the actual fuck? (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't stop there. While she's in the basement of the home, Sean decides he's going to have a bonfire, bro. So he decides, I'm going to push a couch in front of the basement door so nobody accidentally goes down there to take a leak. What? What kind of fucking basement is this? So... Uh, In older style homes, like the home that I had in Toledo, for example, there is a door that you can close that leads to the basement. So the basement stairs, you can close it so kids don't fall down the stairs or whatever. So what he ended up doing was... Like a storm door? I'm thinking like like Home Alone House. You know what I mean? How it has like like a storm door type thing? Nope. This is an actual door. Like you're going to go downstairs to the first level or something. So he closes the door pushes like a love seat up against it so nobody accidentally goes down there. Okay, so the the love seat's coming from the uh lower level. Is that what you're saying? It's come it's coming from no. So the first the the main level of the home. Right. There's a couch there. There's a door at the top of the stairs to the basement. Oh, okay. He, okay. Yes. Like in the living area, whatever. In yes. the actual home. Yes. I was confused because you said it was a bonfire. I'm like, well, why the fuck are they pushing furniture out from the out? I was thinking outside. Oh, no. That's why I was like, what? What kind of party is this? What kind of house is this? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Got it. We're on the same page. Okay. Okay. Knowing that Dana's dead in the basement, he closes the basement door and he puts the couch in front. So the following day, he wraps Dana up in blankets. Hello. Drags her (laughs) lifeless body up the stairs and places her in the trunk of a vehicle he borrowed from a friend. Driving the vehicle to a thick wooded area, he dumps her body in the woods by a tree and leaves. Detectives are now, holy shit, we have another person here, and they're trying to get information that only the killer would know because of the way that they found her body. So they're trying to get information specific to the incident. And the whole situation is just eating away at Sean. The murder, the dumping the body, and just leaving her out there to be consumed by nature. The whole thing, the fear of being found out, somehow linking Sean through DNA, blah, blah, blah. His mind is going a million miles an hour. And he decides 
Months later, he's going to go back to the area where he dumped her body and set her on fire. So he literally sets this poor woman on fire so she may be destroyed along with any evidence. Eh, but any true crime aficionado knows that uh, it takes a very high level of heat to burn down human remains like that. So yes. he probably did a, a shit for a job. Let's be yeah. honest. Right. Let's rub two sticks together and see what happens. Type of fire is not going to get rid of any sort of skeletal remains at, at all. It's not even going to break them the fuck down. It's going to melt shit on top of them and just like, you know, right? Exactly. Sarcophagize them like silly. Just you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, and this is catching up to him in a real bad way. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> So he says he's trying to justify things in weird ways, stating he's really warped and damaged when talking about himself. And clearly there's some truth to that. We can, we can clearly see it unfolding. So he's on a confession spree. He's just blah, blah, verbal diarrhea to Detective Majors. And she then once again asks him if he has anyone else he'd like to talk about or if he might be connected to anyone else. Oh, God. She's just wishing, like, crossing her fingers, like, please just let this be the end. But we all know right. that it's probably not. Mentally, emotionally, physically draining, exhausting. Can Detective you just imagine, like, trying to be that calm through man, all that? And no. And just having to no. ask that brutal question again and just, like, ugh. That's why I don't do that job. It is so taxing to just... To go through all of those mental gymnastics and try to think of a way to get someone to open up to you that is like this is mind-boggling to me. It's such a fantastic art of a profession because the human psyche is absolutely terrifying. Absolutely. So Detective Majors is also curious why he just confesses to the murder of Dana and Sean says he confesses to her. He confides in her now. He says it's eating him up inside, and he wanted to get it off his chest. So going back to what we know about Sean now, he does adopt strangulation as his MO because he knows that it works. And it's there. he doesn't like to work, and cleaning up a stab wound victim is much harder than cleaning up someone that choked to death. So this, in my eyes, it's, it's easier for him in a way because he sees the person as sleeping instead of bleeding out and, and being dead in a gruesome way. I feel right. like putting, it's, putting them out of their misery, blah, 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 even though they evacuate on themselves, like, right. you know, right. in multiple of these cases that he talks about. So I just feel as though he didn't use a weapon for a multitude of different reasons. And some more details emerged during this interrogation about Elizabeth. So there was something in the home that caught the officer's eyes that Majors needs answers to. She said, I need to know about this. The item in question is what appeared to be a broomstick with a sock on the end of it. But as you take a closer look, the sock is completely wrapped in condoms, like a whole box of condoms and a, oh a big box, not a small one. Detective Majors asked Sean about this. 
and he said it, it it's not it wasn't used to sodomize uh Elizabeth in any way it was merely to prop her mouth open so quote the flies can eat her and get rid of her so i didn't have to <sighs> yeah september 17th now detective majors and another male sergeant are in charge of interrogating sean and pulling any other information that they can pertaining to a specific somebody that this other detective has been working on trying to find who or what happened to her. They can't talk about Elizabeth anymore. They can't talk about Jane because Sean has got legal representation at this point. So they can't talk about those two or Stacy. They, they're not allowed, but that's not what they're after. They're after another person. And, uh, as Detective Majors is explaining to the other male sergeant who is present at this time, she explains that Sean has been pretty straightforward with her. And if he doesn't understand, he asks for clarification. He'll elaborate if they ask him to do so, like he's very cooperative. And the other reason this detective is present, as we know, is he's working on a case about a missing woman in the area that fits the M.O. of Sean. Right. Uh, lots of similarities, lots of parallels, which is leading investigators to believe that Sean definitely may, may have had a hand in this. Without missing a beat, Sean replies, oh, Rebecca Lacey? And this <gasps> is ex- exactly what they're looking for. So now this is number five. Rebecca Lacey was a known drug addict and a prostitute in the Mansfield area. Having her first child at the age of 16, she had grown up in a hurry to take care of a young one. Early in her life, a boyfriend of Rebecca's introduced her to hard drugs, and she became addicted. When Sean is asked, how did you get to know her? Like, how do you know her? He said, $20 is how I got to know Rebecca. Fuck off, Sean. Fuck off. But, but then stayed in contact with each other paying her for her services if you catch my drift. Rebecca's father said that she was a drug addict and she wasn't afraid to tell you that. She was also a prostitute, but Sean was also a prostitute that worked the same fucking corner. What the fuck? Yeah, so things are starting to become pretty fucking clear and they're all getting connected with each other. And it's just blossoming into this beautiful case that they are holding in their hands like a newborn baby. And they're just ready to let it go and just watch it grow. Because this guy is connecting himself in ways that I didn't even think were possible. So he I'm was a hoe. He was a, a hoe that worked. Well. The, yes, that worked the same beat. And um, her father also mentioned that he would receive phone calls from his daughter asking for food while she stayed in abandoned buildings. And if Sean was with her, she would ask for a little extra just for him, stating that he's tried to help his daughter get out of her slump, get back on her feet, maybe kick this addiction and try to be a better version of herself. She didn't want the help. She liked the way she was. She liked the money that she was getting and she didn't care. So Sean recalls the day that he took Rebecca's life and he explains it in such a nonchalant way 
but he starts explaining that his best friend worked at a store called Eclectic Tempo, where him and his friend were partners there. So they could have been co-workers. He could have worked under the table for some money. You know, his friend might have paid him to help out. Because he's got a child support issue thing, too, remember? Right, right. So Sean and his buddy would hang out there, and Rebecca would stop by and hang out with them. One time, however, Sean leaves his belongings out, including his money clip, heads to the bathroom to take a piss, and hears a noise outside the door. So the noise is coming from his wallet, and uh, he comes out of the bathroom, and he's like, Hey, did you steal money from my wallet? So they get into an argument. Sean's had enough of the bullshit. He becomes physical and starts to fist fight with Rebecca. Now, she lives on the streets, and they work the same corner. I know she's scrappy, so he's probably got a good fight on her hands. Right. So they're, they're tussling around with each other, and Rebecca managed to grab one of her phones and curls up in a ball on the floor. Sean doesn't know what she's doing. He can't see what she's doing. So he pieces it together. When she grabs the phone and called for someone, she's yelling like, help, help. She's yelling. And uh, he doesn't know if it was 911. He doesn't know if it was another friend of hers that she called. So Sean grabs her. He starts wrestling with her. Mind you, this is in a place of business. So he Damn. gets her in a, yeah, he gets her in a position where he can incapacitate her and finally starts choking her until she passes out, which we know that's his fucking thing. So right. while Rebecca's passed out, Sean's rummaging through her pockets for the money, which it was only $4. Okay. He grabs both of her cell phones, which I don't know if she had one for work and one for pleasure or how that how that worked i'm not sure but he took the batteries out of both phones so she can't call for help anymore and as he's doing that she wakes up she's delirious she doesn't really know where she is at first she's in an absolute panic scared about what just happened to her and sean admits that in the mental state he was in at the time he couldn't just let her leave so he punched her he gave her like a one-two punch and he knees her in the face and knocks her out and as she's oh knocked out, he, he strangles her to death because she can't defend herself. Damn. So check this, check this out. After her death, Sean drags her downstairs at eclectic tempo and leaves her in the basement of the business. I don't know if his friend is around here. I'm not really sure because I didn't go into the court because there's, there's videos of everyone who testifies and I didn't go into that, so I'm curious to know if his friend knew anything about it. But she's right. down there for she's down there for a couple days before Sean figures out what to do with the body. So he this Damn. is what he finds. He finds a hard sided golf bag, like a, a hard case, to stuff right. her in while transporting her to another location. Making sure to tape the bag closed so no one would see. Finally, he makes his move and a bold, it's a bold move because it's daylight outside when he takes her from the basement. Damn. Yeah. He borrows a friend's car and he puts her in the trunk. He said he was nervous that people were staring at him. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> so he drives oh, to a, yeah, he drives to a secluded spot and he 
pulls off to the side of the road, and he drags her body in the woods, dumps her, and takes off. So as he pulls away from the area and starts to drive, he drives a little distance. A police officer ends up behind him. So Sean's panicking. He's like, oh, fuck, it's all over for me. This is it. He saw me over there. You know, his mind's going a thousand miles an hour. But there wasn't actually any reason for the officer to pull him over because he was too far away from the area. So nothing ever came of it, and he got away. Fuck that. (laughs) So towards the end of Detective Major's interrogation, Sean says the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my life. He said, yeah, I killed her, but I don't think I should get charged for it. I don't know. She just kept pushing me. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't know what you're fucking saying. Right. Neither do I. Are you joking? I'm surprised in the interrogation, in the video, I'm surprised that um, Detective Majors kept a straight face because I definitely would not have been able to. Yeah, same. So Sean had been staying in a second story apartment when he met Rebecca. And guess who else was staying in the same apartment building? Candace Cunningham. Oh, shit. So the timeline's starting to make more sense to officers who are investigating. He knows Rebecca. He lived in this dump of an apartment complex. And Candace was also living there. Low income, really dingy place. Definitely going to share a a picture of that shithole because it's absolutely atrocious. They had no bathroom there. Damn. Yeah, so I think it was an old Victorian home that they made into apartments and some just got the short end of the stick, is what it sounded like to me. Ugh. So the man who owned the rundown Victorian building, Jim Chrisman, said he had a lot of low-income tenants, right? Like Sean, who he'd try to help by finding work, like odd jobs under the table, um, so he could collect rent from people and hopefully they'd try to get them out of the slump that they're in. So Chrisman hired Sean to help clean out and repaint other apartments around the area, almost, you know, like a contract business. Like, uh, you know, my dad used to do stuff like that, handyman type stuff. Right. So on more than one occasion, Sean would just stand around and not do anything and just expect to get paid. Like, nice try, dude. Wally, who was another guy who owned the complex that they used to frequently clean explains that Jim Christman, he had a heart of gold, right? He really wanted to help people in need. The problem is that he's often taken advantage of by a bunch of drug addicts and, and literal bums because he's paying them to do nothing. He's just paying them in hopes that you're paying them their rent money and expecting to get it back, and you're not going to get it back, so you're just paying them to live at your place. That's how it's working. Oh, that's unfortunate, but that happens a lot. There's something else very interesting that Wally said in an interview for the Mansfield News Journal. Sean would often try to move in with female tenants at his apartment complex. So there's, there's even a few times he told Sean to leave the premises or he'd call the police to report him for harassment. So he's trying to move in with female tenants in the building that he's supposed to be helping clean and shit. Oh God. Yeah. He said, I have a lot of low income tenants. Trust. They trust me to protect them. And I'm very protective. 
I don't do bedroom checks, obviously, but I make sure they get they don't get taken advantage of as much as I can. So a woman named Amber Wright White was among the slew of prostitutes that worked the same streets of Mansfield and said everyone knew Sean. He was a nice guy. Um, But maybe that's just the side that he wanted them to see. She said they dated briefly in 2013, only for a month. And she said Sean was quiet, very shy. And during sex, he'd have asked to keep the lights off and just he wouldn't say anything. But she said she was pretty mean to him because of her drug addiction. She was just an ass. And one day he just disappeared. He just took off and never said anything to her. So she said, well, I guess that's that. But Jim finally had enough of Sean's antics and kicked him the hell out. He said, you're not paying your rent. You're being belligerent. You're wrecking up the place. And you got to go. Right. Now, we know, we know Candace lived there in the exact same apartment, but she kicked out. She was kicked out prior to her drug use. So she was gone at the time, and then he got kicked out. So he probably contacted Candace to see where she was staying and probably ended up moving in and becoming her boyfriend to just get a roof over his head. Makes sense. I think that he just took advantage of her because she was kind-hearted and he just wanted a roof over his head. Circling back, yeah, circling back to Rebecca, however... Even though her family extensively searched for her and asked for even police to aid in the search of nearly 60 abandoned homes, uh, a workman for a gas company was the person who ultimately found her body while checking for gas wells in the woods. So she was found in March of 2015, and she was estimated to have died in January and February of 2015. So the original death certificate Um, Rebecca's cause of death was pending so they could have the funeral, of course. But uh, they they wanted to see if there was any foul play involved. They need to. You need to. Someone's found in the woods. Yeah, she's a drug addict, whatever. That doesn't matter. Right. Her father, Bob Lacey, said he don't even believe Sean did it, even though he admitted to it. He believes his daughter stole drugs from another dealer. And and when the dealer found out, he injected her with a lethal, lethal dose of drugs to get back at her for stealing. That's what hit her own father believes what happened. Dang. Yeah. So the combined effects of morphine, cocaine, and buprenorphine in her system let the coroner rule that Rebecca's death was cardiac respiratory arrest due to acute intoxication. Dude, they hot shotted her. So, right. So, that is a drug cocktail that is more often than not lethal. Right. So, once the confession came out about Sean murdering her, a review board went over the autopsy report. So, the investigators found the golf bag that Sean mentions placing Rebecca in to transport her into the woods to test it for any trace evidence they can. Sean's DNA was found to be on the outside of the golf bag, and Rebecca's DNA was found on the interior. Not only that, but the state her body was found in 
and in the level of decomp she displayed made it hard to gather some of the evidence that was on the body as well, like uh, markings or other features that would otherwise give away strangulation. And you know as well as I do, winters are not easy in January and February up there. No, definitely not. Not in Ohio. <laughs> right. The final autopsy of Rebecca Lacey was corrected to cardiorespiratory arrest due to cervical compression. Oh, so shit. she could have been on a bunch of drugs, but the fact of the matter is, did that contribute to her death? Was that just a contributing factor? Or was she so addicted to the drugs that uh, she was used to how much she was getting? I'm not sure. It wasn't right. clear. But I don't think that amount of drugs in your system you weren't probably surviving for long anyway. Right, correct. So Sean is saying that there isn't anyone else, and he'd be willing to take a lie detector test to prove it. Majors lets out a little giggle, finally, because she thinks it's funny. She thinks it's funny now after all this time that this is the first time he's actually saying he'd be willing to take a lie detector test. So why such a long stretch between Dana and Rebecca, which are his first and second victims? Detective Majors absolutely wants to know the answer to this question because it seems like a long time in between victims for a serial killer. Sean says regret. Regret is the only reason why he didn't kill anyone else in that almost 10-year span. He regretted killing Dana and it haunted him every day. You know, this this to me just seems like killing one person and letting it eat you up for so long has caused him so much mental anguish that maybe it just ate him up so bad inside that eventually he had to leash out in some other way. But 10 years is a long time. Yeah, it is. It's almost unheard of, honestly, with other serial yeah. killers. Right. And now he mentions a woman named Trista. I'm like, Trista? Who the fuck is this? So she's another Mansfield prostitute he picked up on the street and quote-unquote made an example of. He never hit her. He never wanted to harm her. But when she got lippy, he just raped her. He said, fuck that. I'm just going to take what I want. He doesn't hold back in saying that she submitted to him and she just took it. She's a prostitute. This is kind of her job, you know? Unfortunately, that type of stuff happens all the time. And being submissive honestly probably saved her life. As we know from the Jane Doe thing, she right. just took it. She said, you know what? If this, is, if this is what happens to me, then I just have to accept what's coming to me. And although it's unfortunate, I, I am accepting of what is happening. And this woman did the same thing. Now, Detective Major's gathering more information about the victims of Sean. He, he casually mentions after he rapes this woman, he's like, you know what? I took her back to the place where I picked her up. I walked her back. I'm like, oh, such a nice guy. Thank you for walking me back home. Ugh. Yes. This incident happened right after Rebecca's death, saying he was still amped up about Rebecca and possibly just he just needed to let off some steam. 
She's not a tool for your steam removal, sir. Yeah, no kidding. When the two are walking back to the corner, Trista, uh, she asks Sean, why me? And Sean replies, maybe this is a wake-up call for the both of us. I think I think about that sometimes. Like, that is disturbing and also very um, cynical because it's not ever going to change. This is her profession in which you have scarred her for doing what she was going to be paid to do anyway. And he is mentally scarring himself by putting himself in positions where he has to hide the truth of what he's done. Right. It's it's terrifying. Every time a detective would have to talk to Sean, however, he would request Kim Majors because he built a relationship with her. In one meeting, they're having, um, they're discussing mail he's getting while being incarcerated. Uh, You know, yeah, there's some hate mail in there, but he's also getting a lot of fan mail. Wanting to know more about him, what his favorite serial killer is, or if there's any serial killers out there that he molded himself to be after. So people out there, they're they're wanting information from someone that they can still get it from, you know? Because a lot of times, a lot of times when you write to someone, they open that shit up. Especially if you're in prison, they'll open your mail. They don't know what's in there. Oh, they open all of it. Yes. It, it doesn't matter if you're in prison or county. Your, your shit's getting open and it's getting read. Right. Some of it might get passed through, some of it might not. Circling all the way back to his childhood, his relationship with his mother was tumultuous, and he holds resentment towards her not being there for him when he was younger. Saying things like, I would come home from school and she just would be gone, you know, and I needed help, but she was never there to help me. So now we're getting into some sort of fucked up psychological mommy issue trauma here and it's starting to make sense i i started looking up his mental evaluation during the trial you know before he actually goes to trial and it's interesting it's very interesting dr fabian who was one of the clinical psychologists assigned to give sean a mental health evaluation believe that Sean showed symptoms of attachment disorder and lacked the ability to connect with others on a personal level. Duh. We, yeah. we can definitely see that. Anybody who watches the interrogation video can see that. All of the back and forth hemming and hawing. Dr. Fabian also mentions that Sean's rage toward his mother is a contributing factor in his later victims, but doesn't explain Dana. It absolutely explains Dana, although I feel as though, in his own screwed-up way, he's trying to appease his mother by seeking revenge on the woman who stole from her and possibly getting back into his mother's good graces so maybe she would come back. Right. I mean, this is quintessential mommy issues. It really is. Yes, exactly. Which is so funny but, because I'm I'm wearing my shirt that says I have mommy issues today. So I, <laughs> I just it just it just fits the whole uh, aesthetic we're trying to throw out here today. It was un, unplanned, but happened. To it was it was a happy fruit. accident. A happy accident, <laughs> as Bob Ross likes to say. Yes. 
Speaking with Detective Majors once again about his early life trauma, you hear that his relationship with his mother was really, really weighing heavy on him. He even goes so far as to say that she should be charged for these crimes as well as he should be because she's the one who taught him how to be distant from others because Mm -hmm. her herself distanced herself from others, including her own family. Okay, interesting. Cute. Interesting. Yep. Throw throw the blame. Yep. Interesting notion uh not happening, however. Majors wants to know what sets him off about women and and why do they make you do such heinous crimes? What makes you snap? He had mentioned the words bossy, liar, thief, demanding, all of that. He said it all probably comes from his mom. Maybe he was even thinking about her at the time of the murders and sees similarities in his victims to his own mother, which, which ultimately enrages him. He's upset. He wanted his mother to invest in him only one time. Uh, as we remember from the first episode, she left to be with a man from Kentucky that just left her family behind. He also mentioned talking about serial killers while growing up. And how the family used to watch Unsolved Mysteries and Forensic Files. I still watch I Forensic mean, Files. Right. I mean, that, <laughs> that like molded half my childhood. Get the fuck out of here. Quit acting like that's a, a factor. Right. No Quit shit. Quit a so, good thing for the rest of us, sir. Yeah. You clearly didn't learn anything, but okay. Yeah, no <laughs> That's another unpack for another day. But... Right. No kidding. There's also a point that Sean makes about his mother's side of the family, which is interesting. It starts with him talking about how his mother left Kentucky so young to start a family in Ohio. So she's originally from Kentucky. Sean's mother had been molested by her father and grandfather and needed to escape to begin a new life and escape the never-ending cycle of abuse she'd been dealing with. So she meant, Sean mentioned that his mother would tell him things like she was worried that Sean was going to become some sort of pervert or creep like her side of the family because she feared it was in their genes. It was just that they were just made that way. Well, the men in her- um, sidebar, if anybody likes to read books, read um, V.C. Andrews Castile novels, um, the Castile series. Uh, just you'll, you'll thank me later, but that's a complete sidebar. Okay. Circling back. We'll have, to, we'll have to post it on our Facebook. Yeah. The men in her family abused her, and she had trauma of that. Uh, of course. Which, which probably created her, you know, wanting to be distant from any man because she dealt with that in the past. We all have oh, past traumas, and it's just it's, it's how you work on it that makes a difference, right? For sure. Speaking again with Dr. Fabian, he expresses that Sean said he wanted to kill his mother one time, you know, saying she's so obsessed with stuff like material objects that it almost made her mentally disabled. His mother did eventually come to Ohio to talk with detectives. And when he learns this, he asked not to speak about the past anymore, saying, This isn't about her. As soon as his mom comes up from Kentucky, 
he doesn't want to talk about the past anymore. Right. So that that's fear right there. All the information that was gathered about Sean and the psychologist anal- analyzing him and his mental capacity, he was diagnosed with these disorders. Here we go. Here's a long list. Are you ready? Oh, I guess. I'm strapped. Ready to go. Let's see. <laughs> Long-term mild depressive conditions, bipolar disorder, ADHD, language-based learning disorder, neurocognizance disorder, and personality disorder, mixed and severe. Okay. Also, also, I want to share a fun fact that I found while uh, browsing on the internet the other day, which I think is very hilarious because Facebook decided to suggest this article to me. If you know someone who is always suspicious and holds grudges, they may have PPD. Now, PPD is paranoid personality disorder. Which okay. I think Sean had after killing his first victim. 100%. Yes. Makes makes sense. Makes perfect sense. There's certain things that are absolutely nail on the head type of symptoms for him. Believing that other people are lying or exploiting them, holding grudges or refusing to forgive, being overly sensitive to criticism. Falsely thinking that other people are insulting them. It goes on and on and it it describes him absolutely perfectly. I'm going to post this article on our Facebook page and I encourage you to read it because I was flabbergasted. I thought, oh my God, Facebook's listening to me again. (laughs) Well, yeah, they do that. They do that. Yes. So he's reading. Sean is reading and writing like an 11 year old. He also scored an 83 on the IQ test. Jesus. At at (laughs) first, yeah, he had tried to enter a not guilty by reason of insanity plea, but there was nothing that was concrete to support this plea. The way Sean talks about his victims is the most disturbing part of all of this because he knows what he did was wrong. Here's what he said. They were already dead. Just their bodies were flopping wherever it can flop, but their minds were already dead. The state took their minds once they start, started receiving their monthly checks. So he truly believes that his victims, aside from Dana, had lost their minds to the government, and he was here to rid the world of these people. Okay, Trump. Cool. <laughs> so ultimately, Sean was convicted of the murder of all five women and was sentenced to death and is located at the Chillicothe Correctional Institution in Chillicothe, Ohio. His execution date is now scheduled for March 19th, 2025, but the method of execution is yet to be determined because now Ohio no longer uses lethal injection as of 2020, and the state does not permit any other way for the death penalty to be carried out. He's on death row. But they have no way to do it. So he's just going to sit in there and wait. Damn. Of course, he's locked up currently. And we will absolutely keep you updated if there are any other developments with this case. Because it's still ongoing. Right. And there is actually, I looked up some, some more recent information. It's 2022 now. There, there is a potential of reopening the case and having a new attorney 
represent Sean to possibly reverse the death sentence. And this attorney is from Kentucky. So I don't know how this is going to play out, but I am very, very curious to see. I am absolutely going to be following this. And this is our Midwestern monster, the charming squatter, Sean Great. And for those of you who are interested, uh, we have a Facebook. Uh, we have an Instagram now. I know I said I wasn't going to do it, but we have an Instagram now. You can look us up, Monsters of the Midwest. Um, and then we also have a Buy Me a Coffee, which we're slowly but surely getting things on there. But you can donate through Buy Me a Coffee. You can, um, you can help us out in any way through your subscriptions or just becoming a fan of the podcast in general. And we're really excited to announce um, on Buy Me a Coffee, we are going to be having our first, we're going to try it out and see how it works out, um, video recorded podcast, like mini yes. podcasts on there. So uh, you'll get to see our ratchet ass faces and uh, all that fun <laughs> stuff. We'll see how the audio quality is on Zoom. We'll, we'll try it out. We'll see. And if it's a, a train wreck, then, you know, we can kick it out of there. We're going to give it the old college try. Yes, we are. We are. Um, we also, um, for those who are on Apple Podcasts, you know, rate, subscribe, you know, give us a, a little comment in the in the comment section. Write whatever the fuck you want. We'll take it. It still boosts us up the algorithm, and we appreciate it. Yes. And always remember the code of the Midwest. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go anywhere alone. And lock your damn doors. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.